Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. My name is Phil Crimmins. This is Podcast 124. And today we have a number of good questions that came in from the Mandarin Blueprint Method course, which is where the majority of our questions and comments come from. We also get some questions and comments that come directly through email to podcast at mandarinblueprint.com. Uh, so if there's any questions that come up for you in the future and you want us to address them on the podcast, uh, if you send it to that email address, uh, you know, we can get it onto the next week's podcast. And then as for the remaining comments, they come from the community forum, which has been a great place where lots of people are uh, getting involved, asking questions and otherwise sharing their resources they've found, the techniques they've found or uh, you know, looking for help in certain areas, and it's become quite a little vibrant community there, which is great. And uh, we're actually making plans to eventually um, reorganize the forum, make it a little bit uh, better, considering that, um, you know, we made it somewhat in haste, uh, uh, I guess, like, geez, maybe a year and a half ago now or something like that. And uh, it is about time that we organize it a bit better, make it a little bit uh, cleaner and uh, easier to navigate. But uh, that's one of the many things on our list. We have a lot of plans for the future, a lot of stuff coming up. I will address some of them in response to a question, but I just wanted to give a couple of updates. Uh, one, we've made an improvement to all of the sentence flashcards where uh, previously, if you had a closed delete on a sentence flashcard, so you have a 10 character sentence, there's one character missing on the front of the card. Before, there was no indication whether or not the character missing was a part of a two-character word or not. And we figured that you'd remember because uh, the word would be associated or the sentence would be associated with the word you were learning. Uh, but the thing is, there ends up being so many sentences that eventually you can end up forgetting which word was associated with that sentence. And then you start asking yourself, was this a one character word or is this a two character word? And one of the word, one of the characters on either side of it is a part of the same word. And so what we did was we made sure that if it's a two character word, uh, both the character that's closed out and the character uh, that's not closed out are both red. So uh, you should be able to see that more clearly in the sentences now it should make it a bit easier to follow along with. Uh, we've been making some progress on the new flashcard system that we'll be doing, uh, which, you know, now that we have uh, worked with the company that's going to create um, the software for us, and we've come to a, you know, contractual agreement with them. Uh, that's reasonable enough for us to announce it officially. It's still not going to be ready for a little bit, but Mandarin Blueprint will be moving to a new, more streamlined flashcard system. Um, but, you know, we're going to have to work out a lot of kinks with it. So I'm not saying that it's going to happen like this month or really, it should happen before uh, the midpoint in the year, I would say, you know, it might take four to six months to be solid with it, ensure that it's functional. But I think it's going to be really good for getting Mandarin Blueprint out there to more people because um, Anki is, of course, a you know big pain. Uh, here's a little tiny issue that getting this new flashcard software will change that is uh, going to make using Anki or using SRS flashcards so much easier, not only on the user, but also on Luke and I. So Take this for example. If somebody sends an email saying, uh, oh, hey, there was a typo in this sentence, or they point out that a translation maybe isn't totally accurate and we agree, and so we wanna change it. Well, <laughs> you run into a problem there because if you if we edit an Anki card on our master Anki deck for Mandarin Blueprint, um, 
that doesn't mean that you just get it automatically, right? We have to change the card, sync our uh, decks, export the deck, re-upload it to the Mandarin Blueprint Method course, and then you have to re-download it and open the file just to get that little edit to show up. And of course, in this new flashcard software, if we make an edit to one of our you know, admin fields, uh, saying, oh, before this was, um, I don't know, it was the your, your problem where we should have put Y-O-U-R and we put Y-O-U apostrophe R-E. And um, so we changed that. We only have to change it once and then it will change for everybody automatically. And so that'll save us a lot of time and uh, uh, struggle. So we're um, very excited about that. And actually, this is actually a good place to talk about this because only sometimes it's only the most dedicated users that uh, listen to the podcast on a weekly basis. But we're going to be doing a beta test uh, of this software, and we'd like to do it with 25 members of the Mandarin Blueprint Method course currently uh, to get feedback, to get notes. Um, you know, this is the way it's working is that we're going to be uh, creating the new software and having it integrate with the Mandarin Blueprint system, but uh, we're not going to do it until we're happy with how it functions and that it can do all the things that we need. And just to be clear, if you like Anki and you're happy with Anki, there's no obligation to switch whatsoever. However, it's, um, it, you know, it, it, we would really love to get the feedback of people who've already been on the course. And it would also be very good if we had a few people who were like just starting the course and were willing to try uh, the new software, but that's a little bit trickier because they don't have a relationship with us yet. But still, um, if you're interested in that, uh, let us know. You can send us an email and just you know let us know that you're interested in getting involved in the beta test there, uh, because that will be very helpful in us finding little things that we may have not discovered uh, on our own that uh, aren't working properly. So that's a little announcement there. Uh, another thing is um, we have. We're just about to release a video that is, this particular video is like a longer form video. It's about 50 minutes uh, that Luke made covering different living link techniques, vocab mnemonics for learning Chinese words. And we're going, we've also gone through the process, or I'm in the midst of going through the process of breaking it up into 12 shorter videos that we can put, or sorry, we actually decided we're going to do it as four uh, shorter videos, like 10 minutes each or so, that are covering vocab mnemonics and covering what it is that, uh, you know, comes up to what techniques you can use to remember a Chinese word, how to apply similar visualization techniques, but not as systemized as the hands of movie method, and just give you a big toolkit for remembering Chinese words of two or more characters. And so uh, that is coming up very soon. Uh, that'll be a big improvement to phase two. And we're also reshooting the phase two vocab videos to uh, sort of reflect these techniques and make sure that we're covering the techniques as much as possible. And this will really help with getting the ball rolling on remembering vocab in a much better way. Now, if you're already beyond phase two, uh, then you could consider watching the longer form video because it might help you just moving into the future uh, with any new words or words that come up in your Anki flashcards that you realize you didn't have a good enough image or you didn't have a good enough uh, 
visualization to try to remember it. And so this will this will help a good deal with that. So uh, hopefully you guys will enjoy that. And other than that, we've just been working on some plans for the year and things like that. So we have uh, a lot of good stuff in the pipeline. So look out for that uh, moving forward. Now, let's get into the comments and emails from this week. First, we have Kerry Woods in the community forum. She says, hi, I'm 33, so am I, from the UK, and I've been here for around a month. I've been trying to learn Chinese for a while, but after getting diagnosed with ADHD recently, I've realized I can't just try to squeeze into the regular learning style and have been trying to figure out what works for me. I would love to know if there are any other neurodivergent people out there who find this method as helpful as me. It really plays amazingly into how I already make and retain memories. And I found it so exciting and motivating. Thanks so much for the course. Well, you know, it's not surprising to me that somebody diagnosed with ADHD would still be able to thrive in our course because, you know, uh, and I'm, I make no claims to understanding ADHD and how it works. I certainly know what it feels like to feel like my attention is not able to stay focused on something. Um, but since we break everything down into kind of one step at a time, we just go, okay, listen, the next step is thinking of a keyword connection for this character. It means that you can kind of have your attention come in short bursts and it's all right if your attention moves after that because it's very easy to go back to the point that you last remembered. So uh, it's not surprising to me that somebody with ADHD would find this to be uh, helpful. And also, I don't think that the visualization techniques that we use, uh, that ADHD in particular would prevent you from doing that. As far as I understand, there is a condition called aphantasia, which is makes it difficult for somebody or impossible for somebody to visualize things in their mind's eye. Like if you say to somebody who is who has aphantasia, um, imagine an apple sitting on a table. Uh, they can't do it, uh, which is I, that's hard for me to imagine. It's sort of like um, how some people uh, have said there. Apparently, there are there's a subset of people who don't have any kind of internal dialogue. You know, they're if they're standing and just sitting there or maybe sitting and meditating, they won't hear, you know, like I can, I mean, obviously it's not really hearing, it's audiating is what it would be called. But, you know, the idea that a thought comes into your head and it has language to it, you know, um, that apparently for some people that doesn't really happen. And so, you know, similarly with aphantasia, but ADHD, I don't believe it affects either of those things. So uh, you should still be able to use the visualization techniques. And what's nice is that because the visualization techniques are meant to be exciting and uh, fun and funny and uh, attention capturing, that's why you remember them, uh, then it can kind of combat the desire to want to move your attention around many different things. Because it's like, if you're making a great visualization, it's going to have your full attention. So uh, thank you for sharing that, uh, Carrie. I'm glad that it's been so helpful so far. Next, we have a post by Jessica M in the community. She says, I was going to wait until I finished the foundation course to post this but I'm jumping the gun by about two lessons and posting this feedback now. Mandarin Blueprint dramatically improved my Chinese reading speed just by itself, and I can't explain how. I normally read in traditional characters. 
I didn't do most of the readings and skip through much of the materials in the foundation course because I was already above that level. Some I would read and or listen to once and move on. Some I would skip entirely. The stories phase is more interesting and I give these a bit more attention. I just reread one of the Mandarin Breeze books and flew through it. I thought it was one of the level three books, but it was actually one of the level four books. I could read it almost as fast as a normal adult could read English, with the exception of unknown vocabulary. I read much faster, so not my English reading speed yet, but that is coming eventually, I'm sure. And I read it in traditional characters. So the Mandarin Blueprint method didn't even cleanly transfer to this material, right? Because we teach simplified characters. I suspect that as predicted by fMRI studies of reading, generally that have been done in English and other alphabetic languages, that the ability to write is strongly linked to the ability to read, and that the ability to write most Chinese characters by frequency dramatically increases reading speed. Well, first of all, I just want to say that that's, this is fantastic. I'm so glad to hear this, Jessica. Of course, Jessica joined the course. Uh, she's been giving us lots of great feedback and lots of good like critiques of the course as well. And, um, you know, she's, familiar with the literature uh, around language acquisition. And so to see that this has happened is great. I mean, I'm just so thrilled to, to hear this. And I would suspect that, um, you know, it's like, obviously, anything that lacks a foundation uh, struggles on the uh, struggles to maintain its sort of solid integrity. So if you imagine that, uh, you could say that, if you have a character, you don't properly understand, then you might get it in the context of a sentence or a paragraph because you have the support of the rest of the paragraph. So you like, I don't know, you have a pillar of the building that's missing some of the lower parts of it, but the rest of the building is kind of keeping it up. Um, right. But the problem of course, is that you can easily, if you see that character in another context where the, you know, the, um, surrounding context isn't as clear to you, it won't help you where it'll actually hold you back. But if you know the characters really well and you have a good understanding of, you know, A, how to write them and the components in them and all of that and what they mean, then they'll actually start to help you and build, you'll be able to use them in such a way that, you know, again, just imagine the building. The buildings, all the pillars are strong at the foundation. So uh, it's easier to, you know, add on something to the building from there. And so uh, this has obviously been our philosophy from the beginning that characters are the most important layer of the language and that they should have the most uh, sort of loving care given to their acquisition because the result of that will be easier understanding of the higher levels. And so the fact that Jessica already had some foundation in certain ways, but you know, what often happens with people learning Chinese is that they'll, they'll learn some stuff and they'll build some foundation, but it won't necessarily be at the character level entirely. Then they'll do Mandarin Blueprint and they'll find, oh, this really helped solidify uh, the basics and make and therefore your progress becomes really fast because you already had some kind of understanding of grammar and that type of stuff. So uh, thrilled to hear it, Jessica. That's great stuff. And um, congratulations. Keep it up. Next, we have Bunny in the community forum. Wow. I've been listening to the podcast and reading the Mastering Mandarin in the Modern World book and watching some of the videos today from the Rapid Acquisition Crash Course. But now it is 1042 at night. And even though I am at page 72 of the book, yes, I'm not a fast reader. But then again, English is not my native language either. So I have to look up all the difficult words. I seem to be daydreaming constantly of all my good times in Shenzhen. 
it seems that I seem to remember all kinds of different places, how the Chinese people helped me, etc., etc. If such things happen and I just won't go away, is that a sign that you have learned enough for today? Or should I just push on and try to focus more? Because no matter what I do, it seems that my daydreaming becomes more intense now. Heck, I was even daydreaming that I was having a conversation with Luke in Chinese while drinking a beer. I don't speak Chinese and I don't even drink beer. <laughs> well, I think what this indicates is that the uh, topic has captured your imagination. And so when something captures your imagination, then naturally you start daydreaming, you start imagining things, right? So that's uh, that it, what it is to me is a sign that, yes, um, you know, perhaps at 1042 at night, your focused type of energy is... Uh, you know, fading. Like right now for me, it's 10 in the morning. I'm, you know, in my work day, I'm at that level where focus is kind of higher. I probably am operating at a sort of uh, beta brainwave at the moment. But when you get to the end of the day, you start moving towards the alpha brainwaves, which are slower, and then into even the theta brainwaves, which is kind of like sleep, or maybe the fastest theta brainwaves are kind of that spot in between sleep and awake, but, you know, mostly theta is, is asleep. And so, you know, you have the sort of degrees of it and beta waves are very energy consuming. And so eventually you can't do that anymore and you'll need to move to a more relaxed state. And so, you know, I'd say that at 1042, that makes perfect sense, but it's alpha waves are also where your imagination can kind of tend to take over because you're kind of, you could think of it as like when you're focusing you're sort of trying to not exactly be a dictator to your mind, but you're putting, you're enforcing it more. You're like saying, no, I want to stay focused on this article I'm writing, or I want to stay focused on this studying I'm doing or whatever. Whereas as soon as if you say, um, for example, all right, I'm not going to focus so much on that, then your imagination and your unconscious mind kind of takes over. I mean, think when you're sleeping, it completely takes over and you have these, you know, wild dreams and stuff. So, uh, and that, of course, is the best state of mind to be in for uh, doing mnemonic visualization is to be a little bit less controlling of what your mind wants to do, right? So uh, I think this makes perfect sense. I think you, your imagination has been captured by the topic, and this is a good sign. And, uh, you know, you can just accept the different times in the day and how you're feeling uh, and how much, you know, if you start daydreaming a lot, this is probably just a sign that you're, uh, it's getting, maybe it's time to go to sleep soon, so... I like that question. Thank or that comment and question. Thanks, Bunny. Next, we have a question from Soren in the community forum. Quick question for Phil and Luke, followed by some general thoughts. I know the plan is to expand the course to include more than 1500 characters currently in the intermediate course. I'm curious, when will the course be expanded beyond this? I'll answer this and then I'll read his further comments. So this is something that has, uh, a few factors at play, you know, so we have, of course, a lot of plans for the course, including the advanced course. And we are definitely going to do that. There's no doubt in my mind. Like, it's like, to me, until the advanced course is out, there's not even the possibility of saying that we're finished with Mandarin blueprint, unless like we went out of business or something, but we're not, we're doing fine. So like, I'm not expecting that to happen. Uh, it really, it looks like this year is going to be really great for Mandarin Blueprint financially, actually. So that is not the concern so much. It's more that we have several considerations to make. So one is that 
we have on the docket several plans that are uh, going to take a fair bit of time for each for the way the current course is. So one is that right now we're just getting to the point where we're finishing up uh, editing and preparing 64 stories for the intermediate course. And it's about on average three per level uh, that are at 98% comprehension based on the end of a level. So you're, you've ended level 37. Okay, great. That means that you now have three articles that you could read that are meant for the end of level 37. Uh, there, we're going to soon send them to a recording studio and get those, uh, um, recorded, uh, by professional voice actors. And so that, you know, probably won't take too long once they get the job and we've paid them and stuff, they'll, they'll probably, uh, make it fairly quickly. And then, uh, we're going to make the text tracking videos from that. So that one is probably the one that'll be completed the soonest that or the phase two, uh, updates that I mentioned to you earlier today. And then we have the phase three updates. Phase three, we'd like to make the sentences a little bit clearer in terms of the borders between words. And we'd also like to consider going through uh, and being a bit more uh, brutal with ourselves on how the, how, many, how the sentences are, how many top-down words are there, try to get rid of as many sentences that have multiple top-down words, maybe move them to different parts of the course or something, and try to make phase three a little bit easier in terms of the sentences. We, people are still able to get through phase three, no problem, but we've gotten feedback at certain points and it's like, well, it's pretty hard. It'll always feel hard to some degree because it's like you're it's the first time you're ever getting into sentences, but we want to see if we can make them even even better. And then uh, there and of course, that relates a little bit to when the new flashcard system is ready. And so to imagine this, if you will, uh, when we get the new flashcard system ready, we're going to have to go through all of our first videos in phases one and two and look for where we reference Anki because we're not going to be using Anki as our primary flashcard software anymore. And again, as a reminder to those of you who are using it, there's no obligation to stop using it, uh, but it's just for people in the future. And so that's something that, you know, you can't, once that happens, we can't prioritize anything else ahead of that. Like that has to be the first thing, go through, find the videos that uh, are, contain a reference to Anki and uh, edit them or reshoot them or whatever, right? So that's going to be a big project. Um, and then, you know, of course, once we've done that, uh, that's the best time actually to make changes to the sentences because it'll be easier to edit. Like if we make a bunch of changes to the sentences now, it's going to be really complicated to change them on the course while it's live, while also changing Anki, while also telling people to re-download the deck because we've made some new changes to it. So that's uh, a thing that is, um, you know, going to take some time. So that's phase three. In phase four and phase five, I've mentioned that uh, we're working on some uh, some videos that will be like preview videos for the different phase four and phase five graded content. So the paragraphs, opinions, stories, dialogues. And so that is going to be a project that's pretty important moving forward. And uh, we're also going to get Yo Lao Shi uh, on previewing the intermediate stories I mentioned before, the 64 stories there. That obviously is going to be, you know, him shooting it, but it's still going to require a fair bit of work from Luke and myself to, to organize it and, you know, all of that. So not, it's not, true that necessarily all of those must be done before we even start working on the 
advanced course, but you know, it's these things are all important and we have to consider the fact that uh you know, it's like new people coming in, the ch what we want to do is increase the chances that they get to the end. Right. So there's only obviously a lot of people sign up and sometimes people get distracted by other things and they decide not to continue for whatever reason. It could be any reason. Uh, but one of the reasons might be that they're struggling with it and they find that it's a little bit too difficult and so they don't continue. So we are constantly trying to make it easier and easier at each phase so that they get further. And once you get to a certain point, you kind of like as, for example, Soren has, then you are fine because you're success breeds success you go well geez i've learned a thousand characters what am i not going to keep going right so there's that then of course once we get to actually preparing the advanced course there is you know of course a lot of analysis that needs to be done uh there, there's a lot of uh you know sort of categorizations we need to do with characters considering where do we have to add new props uh where should we consider uh new additions to um how should we structure each level, uh, what words need to be covered and all of that. And that's a huge amount of analysis that in and of itself will probably take three to four months. And then once we get the, that analysis done, uh, there's then of course the implementation and the creating the course itself, which is another, you know, massive project. I mean, we're going to be doubling the size of the course when we do that. So, uh, the advanced course is going to cover, uh, 1500 more characters and probably about 6,000 words. And so it's just going to be a massive endeavor. Uh, so that alone. And then of course, you know, do we now what we might do is put out the characters and words first and just, uh, not get the sentences out right away so that you at least can learn some characters. But the problem with that though, is that what we find a lot of the time is that, uh, when you actually implement it, you'll discover that uh, <laughs> you discover that there was a change that you should have made. So like we had to really focus when we made the inter intermediate course on trying to not change the order of the characters if we could avoid it. And then we still had a couple things come up where we realized, oops, we put this character in the wrong place ultimately like sometimes it's only by a few spots sometimes it's by like a level or something and then that really like i mean you move one character when you make this order it really changes everything it, it, it you have to make it could it could be like three days of work to if you just change one character just to make sure that it's all correct so one of the time one of the ways that you can end up finding out there's issues is by making sentences so this is all just to say that this project it could take easily uh eight months to a year to complete just on its own and we can't get it started right away because we have these other projects uh in in mind but there is a light at the end of the tunnel it's not um you know i would say that it being finished within the year is possible within a year and a half probable and uh it's january 2021 so uh, by January, 2022, I would be, if we, if it was ready by January, 2022, I would be very pleased, but a little bit surprised. Um, but if it's ready by summer, 2022, I, well, if it's not ready by summer, 2022, I'd be a little bit disappointed. So we'll see how that goes. Um, all right, let's continue with Soren's thoughts at the 1000 character mark. He says nearing the 1000 character mark, if possible, I am keen to schedule the pace of my character learning according to the release. 
the thought of having to pause and not learning new characters for a while strikes me as rather odd. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I understand. Uh, you know, it's just, as you can imagine, it's part of the reason why the Mandarin Blueprint Method is so valuable is that we have to put, it takes a lot, a lot of hours to put this type of stuff together. So, um, apologies. Uh, so let's see. That said, no doubt it would serve me well to pause and focus on listening and pronunciation slash speaking. My experience at level 45 is still that listening comprehension remains extremely difficult. I know this is to be expected and has been addressed multiple times already, but I'm still hoping I'll see a rapid improvement in how I experience listening. I'm currently watching Take My Brother Away on Netflix with the plugin that allows for both Mandarin and English subtitles. It's quite remarkable and extremely motivating just how much I can comprehend from reading, but I must admit that, although the spoken Mandarin in the series is very clear, a lot of sentences that are easily comprehensible from reading goes completely above my head without the subtitles. Hopefully it gets better with practice. The gap between listening and reading comprehension in comparison to what I experienced with my Japanese studies has really taken me by surprise. That said, I'd recommend the above series. A lot of everyday conversations and a very light watch. Nice. Well, I appreciate the um, focus on the uh, element of the series the, or, or giving a suggestion on a series. And yeah, the, the of course, the listening, reading, comprehension uh, element to things is... You know, it's listening comprehension is definitely one of the most difficult things to get a hold of, although you're doing the right thing by starting to watch things. So listening to audio, you know, in a way, it's a challenge. So it makes your brain even better at recognizing patterns. But if you can watch a TV show, uh, you know, so per perhaps Soren finishes the intermediate course and takes some time to focus on uh, the watching of shows, right? That will help a lot because you get the facial expressions, you get the body language um, and sort of tone of voice in a way. You are able to figure out what the scenario might be uh, since you have a whole scene in front of you. It's not just uh, audio alone. So in a way, audio alone is like, um, you know, running with a weighted vest on. It's like it's harder, but it makes you stronger. But then, you know, if you watch some uh, some stuff related to um, you know, any TV show or whatever, that'll really help. That'll help you get, um, comprehending much faster because you have these other aids to your listening and, uh, you'll have all the intermediate stories to practice as well, which will help you with your listening. So just, you know, as usual, it's more comprehensible input, uh, best if it's interleaved with reading and listening. Uh, and of course, reading, uh, comprehension. Part of the reason that it's uh, easier is a you're using the Mandarin Blueprint method, so you can understand the characters. But b uh, you have a little bit more time to think about it, right? That's one of the basic things that makes listening tougher is that you have less time to think about it. You kind of just have to. But you know, Soren's been doing this for I think less than a year, so you know it's totally normal still at this point to to struggle struggle in that way. Uh, and it does, you know, I do find that it kind of it can come relatively quickly, especially if you end up putting yourself in situations where you have to understand. So like, I don't know if you'll have an opportunity to do this, but if you're ever, if you can find a way to go and speak with Chinese people, whether at like a meetup or um, perhaps a language partner or even a tutor, uh, and you have to, you kind of have to figure it out. Uh, that sometimes can flip a switch because if you're just listening to something, nobody is like right there holding you accountable as to whether or not you understood. And so there's sort of, um, 
a pressure that comes with that that can activate your brain. It's kind of like people will often say that when they're in an emergency, uh, they'll get better at certain things. Like I, I had a friend, Daniel, who uh, spoke some French, you know, a decent kind of intermediate level of French, but not very good. And then uh, there was an accident. I can't remember the circumstances of it. I think he was mugged. Yeah, that's what it was. He was mugged. And uh, the French police showed up and he just was able to communicate with them pretty fluently because the situation demanded it. So like our brains are surprising. Our potential is surprising sometimes at what we're able to do and how to take the knowledge and turn it into something. So perhaps a bit of advice might be to try to find a way to raise the stakes. I mean, get mugged, Soren. No, um, just uh, maybe go and meet with some Chinese people and have a topic of conversation per perhaps. And like, you know, obviously you can ask people to say stuff again and you can do all that. But by putting yourself in that situation, uh, you may find that there is your listening comprehension gets better because it just sort of has to in that moment. So that's another bit of advice there. Next, we have an email from Marta. She says, hi, Luke and Phil. 30 years ago, I was able to read a good amount of Chinese, quote unquote, on the street, whether in simplified characters or the mainland or in Taiwan. I could follow traditional Chinese subtitling used on TV in Taiwan, read retail and civic signage and understand news stories in the papers. But I've lost a lot of that power of recognition over the intervening 29 years where I haven't been in either China or Taiwan. And so starting the Mandarin blueprint method from scratch is really interesting because most importantly, it's about training my brain in the method. It's great to be moving forwards. I'm not tearing through it as I've got a lot on currently, but I am doing Anki every day and spending as much time as I can working through the videos. For me, it has become a bit like training for a half marathon. Not my first half marathon, so I kind of know where I've got to go. At this point, I'm still working with characters I'm familiar with and probably will be for a while. And that makes it great for me as it's like running on a familiar training route. But however well you know the route you still have to run it and keep on running in order to build up the muscle memory and strength. Gotta do the miles. And you're right, it's a really fun method bringing into movies such an assortment of actors, sets, props, and using components. I wasn't convinced I could work with the method. I'm 61, so my brain is kind of set in its ways. And I learned Chinese characters previously in an academic learning style. I took a one-year postgraduate course in the UK in 1985-86, with a brilliant Taiwanese professor, and then followed that with formal study with Taiwanese professors at the Taiwan Normal University in 1986-87, and loads of self-study during the five years spent in those Chinese-speaking countries. But I decided to commit because, having known and lived in both China and Taiwan and known a lot of Ren, passionate about learning and using the language, and having been one myself, I recognize something similar in the two of you. I've never been taught Chinese by a non-native speaker, and I know my pronunciation is pretty good. And as I went through the pronunciation mastery and rapid acquisition course, the fact that you would be great teachers to help me on my own journey with Chinese became increasingly clear because you've both been on your own journeys. I love your passion for the language. I can hear your precision and that you're just comfortable in the language and isn't it such a beautiful language. So I don't know how many of your students have, like me, started your program from a different starting block than a beginner, but I think you'll be interested in knowing that it is working for me, a long-term lapsed student of Chinese. Over the years, I've enjoyed using the phrase 差得很远 in response to Chinese people impressed 
with the few words of Chinese I've spoken to them. As a lifelong subscriber, I look forward to where I'll be in three months, one year, two years. I really do believe I'm on the road to my Chinese again, and your brilliant Mandarin Blueprint method will keep me going and going and going. Thank you both. I also see what an amazing effort you are putting into building your business, and I wish you great success. Marta. Well, thank you so much, Marta. What a what a lovely email to receive. And yeah, that is great feedback. I mean, I don't you're you're certainly the first first person I'm aware of that's coming back to Chinese after 30 years away. So the fact that you're finding it this valuable and what a what a trip that is to think that you know you could go away from Chinese for 30 years, decide you want to go back to it, and in the intervening 30 years, technology and you know thought technologies and methods for learning have all developed, and then you know you find us, which uh, if I do say so myself, might be the best distillation of all that stuff on the internet. So uh, this uh, is great to hear, Marta. I'm so thrilled for you, and um, so yeah, very soon your level and uh, from before and your level in the present will be chabadul. Hank Elliott on Vocab Unlocked from Fang, which has the words di fang, fang bian, fang fa. So this is one of those vocab living links lessons. So let's see here. He says, so the word is di fang. It means place. He says, I hear Damone's speech in fast times at Ridgemont High when he was lecturing the star dweeb how to pick up girls. He said that any place you go should act like it's the coolest thing around. My silly brain hears Damone saying place and his fangs grow. Nice, defung, right? So fung and fang, they're spelled the same and they're all similarly pronounced. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's great. And you know, so ha incorporating fangs in some way is a good idea. That's a great method for uh, getting so that that's a method of mnemonic visualization or sound mnemonics where you're saying uh, that the spelling of a pinyin syllable happens to be the same as a, a, an English word. Great, when you can do that. And of course, also with difang, you have di, which is ground, and fang, which is square. So like any, you know, of course, a place to some degree, for us to even call it a place, it must have some kind of uh, defining border so that we can determine it's this place and not that place. So there one, you know, classic border is a square. And so you could say the ground of the square of ground here is a place. And so that's another thing that happens a lot with Chinese is just so logical that uh, things can make sense there. So, uh, excellent. Um, and by the way, since this is on the lesson that also has feng fa, which means method for something, you know, that's another one where I can think of, okay, well, fa is, uh, that's the word, that's the character that means method. And then feng fa is like, it's almost as if you drew a square around the method and, and kind of uh, solidified it in that way. So now it's a formal method uh, in that way. And so, um, you know, because I've often thought that sometimes people are really smart in their area as long as you don't go outside of their area. So like what, cause you have to draw the borders around something. Sometimes you can always question premises, uh, of any idea. So you want to say, I think we should uh, do something politically as a country or whatever. Okay, fine. But there's going to be, un there's going to be premises as to why you think that is. And anybody could just decide, well, I don't like that premise or I don't like this premise. And so you could constantly do that forever. But at some point you go, well, listen, let's just 
accept these premises for now and then make an argument within the square of that premise. And that'll be my method for thinking there. Uh, and then of course you could just, you just always need to remember that you could use a different, you know, border there. And so that's why, what, what do they say? Break your frame, right? So it's like you make, you make a frame to understand something, a, a square frame, and you think about it. And then you go, okay, that's cool. Now break that frame and try something else, right? And that's a, <clears throat> a good way to make sure that you remain to at least a little bit of a degree humble uh, when thinking about uh, philosophy or, or ideas. Hank Elliott on Vocab Unlocked from Feng, Feng Xia, and Feng Xin. So for feng xin, which means to relax, he said, I like the hand grabbing the heart as mentioned above because feng means to put down. So like you could say the hand grabs the heart, <clears throat> which is up here because you're, you're anxious and it puts it down back in the place. Oh, relax. That was our suggestion. But he said, however, I'm changing it to giant fangs since that fits with the pinion. So, you know, obviously it's hard to imagine that you would relax if somebody was putting fangs into your heart, but, uh, you know, it doesn't have to make sense. You could just be like this, these fangs go into his heart, go into a guy's heart. And then upon going into his heart, he just goes, ah, oh, that's nice. <laughs> so it's, it's totally fine to do that. And of course, then you have not only the relaxing, you have not only the, the heart going back down, which is how the Chinese conceptualize it. Uh, you also have the sound mnemonic of fang and fang. Nice. John Nomura on Make a Movie for Go, which is dog. He says, I noticed that there is a search engine, Sogo, literally means searching dog, and it's the second largest search engine in China. Yeah, uh, so Sogo is, um, you know, Bai, Baidu is number one, uh, but uh, Sogo is used pretty commonly. And also you have the um, Sohu. Uh, this is very useful for people who have PCs and want to have an input method for Chinese. Sohu is, is another one that is, uh, you know, very useful. I think it might be the same company as Sogo. I'm not, don't quote me on that, but I think, you know, Sogo is an, in, or Sohu is an input method for uh, Chinese, for PCs, so you can type in Chinese. And then, uh, yeah, Sogo is a very, very popular um, search engine. And that could, you can use Sogo for uh, finding images for your different vocab flashcards. It can sometimes help to use a Chinese search engine uh, because you'll get more Chinese related types of uh, types of responses. Nice. Next, we have Jason Pan on bonus connector and with he gun yu and relator expressing with using he. So this is a, essentially a grammar point that we did about he. He says, two things I'd like to share for this grammar lesson. This was a fascinating aha light bulb moment for me was just previously going through the sentences for pai jiao, and I came across the sentence, At first I was like, um, this doesn't make any sense because I was trying to translate it to the effect of something like, there are lots of people waiting with her to take a picture or something like that, and absolutely sounded so ridiculous. I attempted to translate every sentence before looking at the English. Can I just point out, why are you trying to do that? Why are you trying to translate every sentence before looking at the English? I mean, like, I, that's not like an acquisition technique. So like, it's fine if you want to do that, but if your goal is to acquire Chinese, trying to translate every sentence before looking at the English, like, I don't know if I can, like, I wish I could shout this from the rooftop somehow. Translation is not the same as acquisition because the languages aren't the same. Like there's a number of premises that are different. So I just, it's fine as a mental exercise, but I just don't want you to think 
that translating a sentence is the same thing as acquiring Chinese. So, you know, I'm not just, just, you know, the, please, when you're doing these types of things, just try to remember what the goal is. Um, and if you feel like, okay, my goal is to become a translator, then okay, that's fine. Then you can practice that. Although if your goal is to become a translator, I would recommend finding somebody who is an expert in translation to give you some advice. I took a translation class at Sichuan University, and that was what made me realize how different translation is from understanding the language. Because I would look at a sentence and I would be like, I understand this sentence. Like if somebody said this to me, I would get it, but it's so difficult to then put it into my brain and regurgitate it into English or the other way around. Uh, so anyway, uh, just a, just a thought about that. So anyway, continuing, he says, so then I looked at the translation and that's when I realized that ta functioned as the preposition with similar to something like ta because I noticed that it behaved in a similar way, being placed before the verb. So I then I arrived to this grammar point and it immediately helped to solidify that understanding. Furthermore, and most importantly, what was even more interesting was when you showed the sample sentence, 我想要和一个美女在一起, which I honestly was never comfortable with the translation because of exactly the 和一个美女 part. I immediately was able to make sense of it and I and it clicked. I mean, it took a couple months since I was first exposed to the sentence a long time ago, but I guess better later than never. Nonetheless, I'm hoping this sequence of learning this grammar point, SRS exposure before officially learning this grammar lesson, will help me understand it more naturally and intuitively in the future. Well, sure, I mean, you had the light bulb moment. That's exactly what we said should happen. We said, you know, you should, if you learn the grammar point before you've ever seen any sentences, that use it, it's kind of just like, okay, well, you're telling me, like if somebody explained to me a French grammar point right now, I'd be like, all right, cool. I think I can conceptualize that, but I don't have any examples of somebody using it towards me. So it's not a light bulb moment, whereas it's exactly what happened with you. So I'm glad to hear that. Uh, that's good. That's good news. Two, I really appreciated this grammar lesson because you taught something in a way that I don't think you have up to this point in Mandarin Blueprint, whereby you broke down the sentence 我看见你能用中文和中国人聊天. This is exactly how I study my sentences. I invest much of my sentence review time to making a deliberate effort to break down the sentence structure into building blocks so that I can understand what can be replaced, substituted, modified, etc. for the purpose of starting to get comfortable with my output. Your unconscious mind will do that for you, bro. Your unconscious mind will do that for you. It's trying to use a a calculator when you have a supercomputer right next to you. So like the, what Jason is trying to, is admirable. It's like, it's admirable, but it's not something that you have to do consciously. Like I broke down the sentence, 我看见你能用中文和中国人聊天, because I already know how to speak Chinese and can break it down if I want, because it's helpful a little bit. It's, it's, it's helpful in pattern recognition, but you're not going to be able nobody's conscious mind is strong enough. I mean, you're a smart guy, Jason. You're, nobody's unconscious mind or conscious mind is smart enough to be able to calculate ahead of time what words might be able to fit into a certain spot in a sentence and then output it. That's, it's like you would have to be so super fast at that process to be able to do it in conversation real time because what is conversation actually like? You're discovering what you want to say as you're saying it, for the most part. I mean, unless it's a prepared speech or something. And so 
as a result of that, the by pointing this stuff out, you know, it's not by pointing this stuff out, we're trying to just give your unconscious mind an assist, but like you still have to give the vast majority of your focus to your unconscious mind. Um, I would argue that it is an incorrect premise to think that, uh, like you said here, that breaking down these structures is going to specifically help with your output uh, in that way. Uh, what's going to help with your output is reading, reading, reading. So all that time you're spending breaking down sentences might, you know, I, I, won't say that it's useless. I'm saying that the opportunity cost is really high because all that time you're spending, you could be continuing to read. So like that's um, what will get you to the point of being able to output faster is reading a lot and listening a lot. So, uh, you know, I know I'm a broken record about this, um, but uh, so far I've not really seen evidence in the me the uh, messages that you send each week that this message is getting through. So fine, repetition if it needs to be. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's see here, continuing. So when you presented it, it was rather easy for me to follow and it aligned well with my learning style. With that said, I wish there was more of this. In fact, it would be awesome if this was a structural design of the course whereby each sentence or at least certain required sentences had this same learning supplement such that it gives you the sentence status quo as is but then there is a way to see how the sentence can be distilled into the most basic building blocks. Thanks for the great grammar point. I think knowing as a preposition slash relator will serve very useful. Yeah, so I mean, I certainly, you know, for all the um, point I was making about how it's not particularly helpful in acquiring the uh, language to be able to uh, break down a sentence. It is kind of fun. It's sort of like a, a fun little exercise to do. Uh, so I could add in more of that. I do it sometimes in the Loom videos uh, that I do in response to people if they ask a grammar question, um, just because you can kind of, so my, my recommendation for it would just be to say, find um, the basic like action of the sentence or find like, you know, if you find the basic, think of it like this, you have a subject, you could find the basic subject and try to figure out how many things are modifying the subject. Uh, I actually did this yesterday with you regarding um, uh, people who decide that they're not going to go back to China after going abroad. Those people who decide they're not going to go to China after going abroad, which technically is all a description of Ren, and then it becomes Na Xie Ren. It's like, Hui Zhong Guo de Na Xie Ren. Like it was like sort of adding all these different modifiers. That's the thing you can do. And to be honest, it's not that hard. It's just a question of like asking how many things apply. And you could just do this if you want. Um, and then of course there's the action. So like what is the, when you know the action of the sentence, it's helpful to try to find what's the basic sentence. So like, um, you know, you could say, um, is a very simple, simple way to start the sentence you put in this example. And then you go from there. And so like, there's, there's all sorts of uh, ways you can do that. But, um, I'll, I'll, I'll bear that, bear that in mind moving forward. And maybe I'll, uh, when we write some more grammar points, I'll, I'll put more of that in there. Um, cool. Nice. Next, we have a question from Julie Lund on Thai in context. Shouldn't there be a pian in the first sentence for the translation to be right? 
the way I read the sentences is that, quote unquote, I simply want to try this one type of bread again in the future, not another piece slash slice of bread. Thanks. And so the sentence is, 我想再吃一个这种面包. The question is, you know, 一个这种面包, should it, should it really be 片一片? And uh, that would be true if it was a slice specifically, although the sentence doesn't necessarily uh, indicate that. Uh, you could say 一块这种面包, uh, which is also a measure word for bread if it's not in a sliced form. Um, but 个 is the universal measure word, and bear in mind that like you could say 个, totally fine to say 个, um, but also uh, we're considering top-down words uh, when we're making sentences, so like uh, we want to, you know, make sure uh, that we don't, you know, use too many top-down words. So that could be the reason as well why we use "gu," because of course you lose, you learn "gu" very early in the course. So, so she said the way I read the sentence is that I simply want to try this one type of bread again in the future, not another piece of bread. Well, consider this. She could have said, "我想再吃." 这种面包, which would mean I want to eat this bread, this type of bread again. If that were the case, I would say that's almost definitely what you're saying. Just someday in the future, I want to try, I want to eat this type of bread again. But by saying 一个, 我想再吃一个这种面包, uh, then it's more likely that they're saying I want another type of this slice, uh, type of bread, uh, another piece of this type of bread now because um you know what are the chances that what they mean is just one piece of this bread again in the future and that's it right like because by by saying we're indicating that there's some type of measurement to to it whereas if you just leave out the measurement then it has much more of a general feel to it so that's the indication to me that this is more of a uh it's, it's not necessarily general in the future, but in, instead is more specific to what's about to happen. Rebecca Webble on vocab unlocked from li, which is like, this is an example. So li zi is an example, or li ru means for example, uh, and an li means a case. So an is sort of a file, and uh, an li is a, a case, uh, which is something that we'll get into in this sentence. She says, in the sentence for An Li, are the patients hitting the doctors or are they hitting them with malpractice suits? So this is a good question. So the sentence is, 这家医院里发生过多个病人打医生的案例. So uh, this sentence starts off with, 这家医院里, in this hospital, 发生过, has happened before, has happened before, 多个病人打医生的案例 Patients hitting doc cases, anli of patients hitting doctors. So the I understand why she asked this, because there is a word in Chinese, which is 打官司, which is to go to court or law or engage in a lawsuit. So 打官司 is, and you can 打赢官司 or 打输官司, which would mean like to win or lose a lawsuit respectively. Um, but that, in that case, it's a guanzi. It's not an anli. So a guanzi is more, you can always tell with the character guan, if the character guan is there, that usually means 
that this is pretty official. You know, guanfang yuyan is like political speech, official speech, right? Uh, or official language. And so da guan is the hitting somebody with a lawsuit, right? Um, and I guess we say that in English as well. But in China, there was actually, I don't know if it is still a, a phenomenon, but there was a cultural phenomenon in China where uh, patients were frequently uh, kind of being violent towards doctors. I mean, obviously, it's not most patients, but it's enough that it you know made the news and stuff where, uh, you know, their their reaction to negative diagnoses was to sort of, I guess, blame the doctor, uh, which is, you know, obviously a little bit. It's like one of those things, understandable emotionally, although it's clearly uh, the wrong thing to do. The doctor's just doing their job, but it's like, uh, yeah, it's happened many times. So like that actually, um, that's why I knew for sure that this was indeed uh, the situation of uh, the patients actually hitting the doctors. So um, yeah, and then of course that may have turned into a, a case from there, like a more official case. Uh, but certainly this is the type of thing where you would say, because if a patient hit a doctor in a hospital, they're at least going to record it, right? And they're going to, it's going to be a thing that happens. So that's a, the, they'll be able to reference in the future. So, uh, yeah. And Lee, in this case, yes, it is literally, uh, somebody hitting the, the patients hitting the doctors. Next, we have, uh, Jason Pan on Dao in context. He says, what does jiao pian do here since the sentence translates to just more of your selfies? I would think that zi pai would be sufficient. So zi pai is the act of taking a selfie, right? So because uh, pai is the word there. Um, so yeah. Uh, basically, the zi pai is the act, and zi pai jiao pian is the selfie itself. <laughs> the selfie itself. It's getting meta in here. So, uh, yeah, like the because a jiao pian is a thing that you could send to your phone. So it's like ni duo fai dian zi ji de zi pai jiao pian dao shou ji xiang, right? That is the um, it's saying send some more of your uh, selfies to the phone, but the way Chinese does it is that by creating the word selfie, they take, okay, uh, the selfie itself is a picture fundamentally. And it's what kind of picture it's a pai jiao pian. It's a pai picture, right? Uh, but it's not, um, so they say, you could say it's a selfie picture and then take a selfie. It's pai. And so, um, yeah. And then at first I thought when I first read this, I thought, wow, there is a lot of, uh, it seems redundant to say but then I thought, because you know, like aren't all the your own? But then I thought, nah, because here's a phenomenon you'll see all the time. Uh, I mean, it's not like this is unique to China, but you certainly see it if you go out in China. Is like you'll be at a bar or something and there'll be like four girls at a table and they're all uh, taking pictures, you know, I, I work in bars a lot playing drums. And so like, they're all like taking pictures of themselves and all of them are doing it. And all of them are in all of them at some point. So that means four people have from that night. Uh, and so one of them might say to the other ones, uh, right. So, uh, that's an example there where, uh, 
of why it is. So the really the the what you want to take away from this is that uh, what is happening in the sentence? We're sending pictures to the phone, right? And so that's what can be sent to the phone. Can a pie be sent to the phone? No, because that's the act, right? Uh, pie, that's the indication. You know, pie jiao pian. That's the take pictures part of it. Uh, so pai is still a, uh, a verb fundamentally. Although, of course, in this case, it's a verb that is modifying the noun so it's like saying like it's not it, it, what kind of jiao pian is it it's the the kind that you take yourself but still what can be sent to the phone a zipai can't a jiao pian can so that's how you can think of it jason pan on dao in context i like this question so why does dao mean go to leave for if the translation is just i will walk to the park uh, seems like the sentence would still mean exactly the same thing without the Tao, or am I mistaken? So I had this same question when I was in university because this uh, structure of Tao plus place plus two or lie seems like, well, why wouldn't you just say, I didn't frame it as uh, Jason said, but I, I, why wouldn't you just say, why would you say, like, why not just say chu? And so, first of all, you can say, but if you say that, you've not given any indication as to how you're doing it. You're not saying, I'm going to walk to the park, I'm going to leave for the park. Now, could mean either walk or leave, but that's kind of beside the point. If you want to make any, if you want to say anything more than just go, you want to say, I'm going to leave for the park. I'm going to walk to the park. Uh, then, so suddenly you need to change the word order because uh, you need to be more specific. So, 我要走到公园去. So, 去 is a directional complement in this case. So, um, 上去 or 上来 means... Uh, go up or come up respectively in which case the real verb is shang meaning to go up or like raise up in some way and then the chu or lai is to uh indicate the direction in relation to the speaker so that's what's happening here so what we're saying is dao gong yuan chu so the chu indicates that wherever the gong yuan is is not here and it's going to be away from you and the speaker. So you're going to go to, to there. Uh, theoretically, if you're on the phone, you might say to someone, uh, That would be fine. And then in that case, it's lie because from the speaker's perspective on the phone, they're in the park. So they're saying, come to the park. Easy enough. Now, uh, if you were to say, 我要走公园, well, that, what that means is that you want to walk the park, right? Which isn't what you're trying to get across here. You're trying to say that you're going to walk to the park. And that's where the Dao comes in. See what I mean? So, 我要走到公园去玩. And then the one, you don't even have to include that if you didn't want to, but it's just a further explanation just saying <clears throat> uh, that like, hey, um, you know, the... Uh, I'm going to also play when I'm, when I get there, but you, that's optional. So hopefully that makes sense. Uh, you can't just say 走公园 because that means to walk the park. 
Uh, so, and what you're trying to get across is that you're going to leave for or go to the park. And then the chu at the end is just about a directional compliment. So look out for the dal plus place plus chu slash lai. That, that'll be uh, coming up a lot in the future. Jason Pan on Mei Xiang Dao in context. He says, Mei Xiang Dao, Toto He Ren Pai Zhao, Hai Yao Shou Jian. So this comes from a longer form piece of content. So let me just answer these two questions here. He says, Is it context to know that He is a preposition here and not a conjunction? Because at first, I read it as Toto and people make money taking photos or Toto and people taking photos make money, right? So he was thinking of it in uh, the, the more conjunction form, right? Uh, so first of all, yes, context will make this clear from the paragraph sentence uh, level. I think this is actually the last sentence of this particular uh, story, which is like about my dog Chocho going to the park, right? So it's just about her day, and it's a silly little story about how the dog goes to the park and uh, actually ends up making money by, like, taking photos with people, and she collects money and, and all that. It's silly and, and unrealistic, but it's that's part of the point, right? And so uh, that alone would give you enough context to know that it's not Toto in collaboration with people making money. It's that Toto makes money by... Ha, uh, taking pictures with people. Uh, so then there's that. So, but even the sentence alone, you should be able to figure this out. And why? It's because of the first half of the sentence, Mei Xiang Dao, right? So, Mei Xiang Dao, sure, it comes before a comma, but that doesn't mean that it's not a part of the um, structure of the sentence. So, Mei Xiang Dao is really Wo Mei Xiang Dao, right? Uh, so, the subject of the sentence is Wo. And what's our. Um, What's our uh, standard for determining whether or not he is a conjunction or a preposition? Is it a part of the subject or not? So, uh, would be, I guess, the subject if that were the, all the sentence was. But the sentence is, 我没想到,臭臭和人拍照还要收钱. Right, so that's the first part of the sentence is actually where... Uh, the um, the first part of the sentence is where you actually get the uh, the subject, and therefore it is a preposition. Now let's look at the second question about this sentence. He says, "What does hai mean in haiyao?" I don't think I've seen this before. Is there an implicit even still in the could make money part of the translation? Like I never thought he could still make money taking pictures with other people. So think of it like this: a dog at a park or, or, you know, um, and again, th this will be cl again, clearer when you're in the longer content. So like, I love when these questions come in, in a way, because it further proves my point that, uh, you can't just have sentences, which is a point of contention that, uh, I, I, I might have with somebody like say Gabriel Weiner at fluent forever. I believe his philosophy is that all you need is sentences and that's enough to get you to, to fluency. And I mean, Maybe he's right. I mean, obviously he's quite fluent in several languages. And but I, I guarantee you at some point Gabriel got to the point where he was reading longer form content. Maybe what he means is just you only need sentences to get to longer form content. But sentences alone will have you struggle with 
a lot of contents, uh, a lot of context until you get that more context. So, um, what I was saying was that for Hayao here, in order to understand really what it means, you have to read the whole paragraph. But this is what the context is and what how you can understand it. So, a dog going to a park normally like runs around. You know, they go to the bathroom. They throw a frisbee around and catch it, right? Like these are the normal dog activities. So you would say, uh, right? So in that case, you're making a list and you could just say like, it's just sort of a, and also, but it can also have the tone of surprise to it. So in this case, you didn't even need to say any other stuff because that's just stuff we know. We know what dogs do. Everybody knows what dogs do. So when you say, I never imagined, right? So that's a little bit, actually that alone should give you an indication why the hayao is there because it's a tonal adverb. It's an adverb based on changing the tone of voice of the sentence. She all she also is making money. It's a surprise. Like they're the even makes money there, right? It's a, how you translate it perfectly is like uh, it, you know there's alternate options I suppose, but that's basically the idea there is that uh, the hayao indicates a tone of surprise or that it's not what normally would happen. And so yeah, that's basically the idea. And once again, you need the longer form content to content to really get it. If you had the longer form content, which you'll get in like a few uh, lessons, I'm sure, uh, the you'll know uh, because it'll be at the very end and you'll kind of get it. You're like, oh yeah, the, the writer is surprised uh, that their dog is making money uh, at the park. I think they might've even said like, my dog makes more money than me. So let's move on to some movie scene shares. Only a few this week, all from Rick Santos, who's been smashing through the intermediate course. So Rick on make a movie for Hun, which means to mix up or a mixture. He says, this character Hun reminds me of a tabletop kitchen mixer for anything liquid with two beater attachments. And I love that. This doesn't really happen very much, but yeah, like this is great. So. Uh, we have, uh, for example, um, you know, the the liquid on the left, which he's kind of separating from. He's saying, obviously, you mix things that are liquid. Uh, but then the right side looks a bit like you could grab it and make sort of a, a two-beater attachment to mix things up. Perfect. So while that may not be the Henza movie method, that's a good thing to know because it'll always help you with the meaning of the character. Uh, you know, it's like you remembering the exact uh, pronunciation, you're still going to need to do a scene and all of that. But like that's that type of thing will always help. So well done, Rick. I like that. Rick Santos on make a movie for B. In the backyard of the null set, the B.I. actress always had a problem of misplacing her balance scales all over the place. To solve this problem, she had two plans. Plan A, leave the balance scales on the floor. This way, this was the default mode. Plan B, she got a T-stand, sure, when she could put the balance scales on top of the horizontal arms or just hang the balance scales using the handles. Clearly, plan 
B, <laughs> the pronunciation of the character, was the finished B solution. Balance scales complete. B, right? So B, this character, this is actually a useful character because it, it means like completed in its entirety. So if somebody says 1B, it means you're done, it's over. It's not just done, it's done and never will be done again, right? Uh, a B, yeah. B, yeah, means to graduate university uh, or it could be graduate high school or whatever. But the point is, when, once you've B, yeah, you're done. You did it, right? Um, and that B, yeah, sheng is a graduate. So uh, there's uh, many other instances where you'll be able to use B. But I like that. Nice, nice creative stuff from Rick. Rick Santos on Make a Movie for Show. So let's see here. He says, SH Actor was the most successful detective in the OU set. So Bureau, Bureau Chief decided to award Show him some cash. The Bureau Chief handed, hand component, him the reward money to show the agency's appreciation for his work. Upon receiving, yo, the cash, uh, with his right hand, I suppose, SH actor hurriedly kept, I guess, he's just putting the component here for a crown. So maybe he's saying that the crown, that that's the cash. He kept the crown, it's stashed safely in his backyard. Maybe Rick has some indication as to what that's supposed to be, but he's using the middle prop there. Uh, he currently kept middle prop, it stashed safely middle prop in his backyard, away from the prying eyes of his neighbors. SH actor is not the type who would show, show them the money. All right, nice. Cool. All right, I think that, uh, obviously I didn't quite get what he was saying there at the end, but, uh, you know, it looks like it's some good fodder for a potential scene uh, in the future. So, for anybody else. Nice. Rick Santos on Make a Movie for Anne. Jackie Chan went to the Null Set home and visited his old mother, Nui. He asked for the files and records, Anne, of the entire family. She kept all these files and records and stored them under a little roofed shack in the backyard. His mother asked him what he was intending to do. He replied, I want to reconstruct our family tree. Ooh, nice, so the records of the family that the mother might keep in the shack out back, create a family tree. I love it, there's all the elements of the character here. Uh, great scene, Rick, awesome stuff. And that will wrap up the Mandarin Blueprint Method uh, podcast for this week, the Mandarin Blueprint podcast. And head over to mandarinblueprint.com to learn more about how we can get you started learning Mandarin Chinese in the best, most systemized and logical way, and also the most efficient way on the internet. See you next week.